Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. Is anyone else struggling with what to wear these days? I've been pretty frustrated with getting dressed over the last few months as I've navigated body changes, and some days I quite literally have no idea what to wear. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion. When I signed up, I took a style quiz, and based on my preferences, they offered suggestions that would best match my life. I've been renting clothes from Armoire for a while now, and the more I rent, the more on point the suggestions get. Plus, you send what you wear back, which is a great way to try new styles without waste. Armoire also has such a fantastic range of options. Whether you're planning an outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or maybe a family event, or just need some updated options for everyday life, you'll be the best-dressed person in the room without ever having to find time for an exhausting shopping day. Right now, Didn't I Just Feed You listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash D-I-J-F-Y. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-I-J-F-Y to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. Okay, friends, listen up. We're getting straight to the point with this one. We know how to make your holiday shopping way easier. We know that sounds like a big promise, but just like you all, we're busy and the holiday season can be overwhelming. We'd never tease you with a big promise like that and not deliver. So grab your holiday list, count the number of kids that you want to gift, and head to KiwiCo.com. You've heard us talking about how much we and our kids love KiwiCo, and this holiday season, we're getting serious with you. It's time to place some orders. KiwiCo's fun-filled monthly crates include everything needed for screen-free, hands-on enrichment. They bring together creative play, STEM, geography, and even cooking activities in a line of subscription options for everyone from babies to toddlers and teens 16 and older. KiwiCo crates make amazing gifts for the kids in your life, including your own. You know that we're partial to cooking. Lately, our families can't get enough of KiwiCo's Yummy Crate which delivers high-quality kitchen tools, three recipes, and two projects every month geared towards kids ages 6 to 14. And before each crate arrives, you also get a shopping list that includes alternative ingredients to accommodate different diets from vegetarian to vegan. But fear not if cooking isn't the thing that will spark excitement for the kids in your life. Through different seasons, our kids have loved the Kiwi Crate, Atlas Crate, and Tinker Crate, just to name a few. So be sure to check out all of KiwiCo's lines. There's something for every kid. So go now. I mean, keep listening to us <laughs> while you holiday shop. Didn't I just feed you listeners? Get 50% off their first month, plus free shipping with the code D-I-J-F-Y at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O.com. Promo code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. And KiwiCo is the perfect gift for last minute gifting too. No shipping or wrapping required. 
As we move into fall and winter cooking, we're stocking up in broth, the building block of our favorite soups, stews, and holiday dishes. While we love making homemade stock, that just isn't always possible. Which is why we asked Zoop to return as a sponsor. And y'all, they said yes. We couldn't be more excited to welcome them back. And the timing couldn't be more perfect for their super premium broths. Zoop makes it easy to add rich, homemade taste to all your cooking. Their flavor-forward broths include chicken, beef, veggie, and seafood, plus bone broths that you can sip. And now, Zoop also offers culinary concentrates, small batch broth concentrates, and heat and eat soups. I'm obsessed with the culinary concentrates. They have unbeatable flavor, great for making sauces and boosting casseroles, pasta, and rice dishes. One eight-ounce jar makes up to 10 quarts of restaurant-quality broth. I also love Zoop soups. Each small batch-made soup starts with one of Zoop's homestyle broths, giving it a simmered-all-day flavor. It's a perfect quick meal, whether for dinner or a work-from-home lunch. Just like their broths, Zoop Culinary Concentrates and Heat and Eat Soups are free of preservatives, artificial ingredients, and gluten. And everything comes packaged in recyclable glass containers. To learn more about why we love Zoop so much and to browse recipes too, visit ZoopBroth.com or go to at ZoopGoodReallyGood on Facebook and Instagram. Zoop Good Really Good Broth, Culinary Concentrates, and Soups can be found at retailers nationwide, including Walmart, Sprouts, and Kroger, plus online at ZoopBroth.com. Or order from Amazon, and be sure to use our code to get 20% off your order through November 6th. It's 20 Feed Oct Short for October. That's 20-F-E-E-D-O-C-T. So I think the difference that I want to give my children is showing that there's no morality to the foods we put in our bodies. It is important to consume nutrient-dense food at every meal, but at the same time, things like burgers and cookies and chips, having that once in a while is not a bad thing, and it's not going to kill you. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. I am very excited about today's How We Feed interview with one of my favorite influencers, Zoe Potter. Today, we're talking with Zoe about what it's like raising kids as a fat parent who also shares their life online. But before we get into our conversation, we wanted to invite you to our Didn't I Just Feed You listener community. Do-do-do! Our free community is where listeners from all over the globe come to ask each other questions, get advice from us because we're there too, and also give advice and share their favorite tips and recipes. We'd love to have you as a supporting member of our community too. Recipe subscribers just got a batch of easy, cozy recipes for everything from baked pear donuts to weeknight spaghetti and meatballs. Visit didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community to get all the details and how you can get access to those or join that free community. And if you can't join our community right now, you just don't want to. Maybe you can't, you know, it's not in the budget right now to support us. That's fine too. We want you to know we still love you. And the fact that you're listening makes all the difference. But hey, if you have a minute, leave a rating and a review. That's great too. Otherwise, just listen. Just keep listening. <laughs> or maybe share your share us. Oh, yeah. How about that? I like that call to action. Share this episode. 
Because not only are you sharing us, but you're also sharing Zoe, which I'm very excited about. I think if you don't already follow Zoe Potter on either TikTok or Instagram, you are in for a treat. Cece, before we introduce Zoe and we get into our interview with her, can we have like a really top line conversation about how you identify? I don't mean like pronouns or anything like your body type. Like, how do you describe? White lady, she, her, <laughs> what? Where are we going? Let's, Let's do it. Let's talk about your body type. Your body. Oh, should we? My body, adi, adi. Before we dig in, should we? Is there like trigger warning? warning? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you feel uncomfortable for whatever reason we talk about talking about weight, weight dieting diet yes, culture intuitive eating restrictive eating it's a lot it's pretty it, heavy. it is but also like you know regular gin i just feed you it's there's fun and informative too but if for any reason you can't listen today go ahead and listen to an archive episode this week instead yes okay having said that how do i identify I, oh gosh, I think that maybe I don't identify very like willfully. Is that the right word? I always thought of myself as, I make reference to my age a lot in this episode that I'm just older, but I actually think because there's a little bit of a generational difference. It's not like, not tons, but, and I think that this word might speak to that. I don't know. I think of my, I've always thought myself as chubby. Chubby. That is the word that comes to mind, chubby. And I think it's a like weird leftover thing from when I was young Okay, that I must have felt chubby based on how my mom spoke to me about my body. Uh, When I got pregnant with Isaac, I was, I have always fluctuated like, I would say like 30 pounds up and down, like yo-yoing most of my adult life. So I was at a thinner point when I had Isaac. I was doing Pilates three times a week. I like gained, I don't know, maybe like 21 pounds, 18, 21 pounds. And then, you know, fast forward a few years of like being tired, not getting sleep, eating crumbs, not having time to exercise. I had lost most, but not all of the weight that I gained when I had Isaac. And then I gained like 30 pounds. (laughs) So it's funny because I was at my highest right after I had Oliver. I felt horrible. I still didn't self-identify as fat, although then I would look at pictures and be like, oh, I'm, I currently am the heaviest I've ever been. The funny thing is I am heavier than I was after Oliver. And I feel like I look so much better. There was something about the fact that I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't moving my body. I don't know. I looked completely different than I look now. So now I feel like I look what in my mind I think of as big. Okay. But I'm like, oh, then I was fat. Now I'm not fat. And I don't know what that's about. For me, it's 100% how I look in clothes and because I love clothes so much. Clothes and then photos. Like we've we've both lived a a part of our career where it's like, a little bit public facing and at least once a year you're having to like do headshots or like be on camera for something. And so that's, that's really impactful. Uh, Did I even answer your question? You did. What I think is really interesting. And I think this is the generational thing is your, not to say that like the words chubby or big 
revolve around weight, but you use weight as a marker. Whereas like I, like in saying the same things would more use like my clothing size as an identifier. Like instead of oh, like that's so interesting. I very much identify as mid size. Like I'm squarely mid sized. I think there are probably times What is mid size? I think it's like the twelve to sixteen range. Like you're probably a large to an XL. You don't have to get into like plus size clothing. Like then that's a different identity. Whereas like straight sized is more that like uh zero to 12 or like extra small to medium i have been so many different weights like i have been a 12 and weighed really different oh, amounts yeah. for sure also same yeah like i that's so interesting i don't think about clothing yeah clothes. but that's like the way the way i think of it of it now like I, I've had the same experience when I think I was pregnant with Ella. I went, I sized up to like a size 16 jean. And at that point was like, oh, that's like the largest size jean I've ever worn. And now, like, I think of that, like, within my size range, especially because jeans are so, like, different in sizing. And 16 is, like, not even the greatest sizing because then there's, like, the like 33 to 34 you know 30 28 like yeah. whole different sizing i don't know why i think of 16 as that but like i identify as mid-sized and i wanted to share if it's okay two really interesting things about like living as i never want to say i'm an influencer even though zoe is an influencer and we we call we bring her on in that with that viewpoint living life online Two things that have been interesting this year. One is that when we went to LA and we were together and we shared photos of the two of us together, it was really interesting to me that people assumed that you were the taller one of the two of us. So when they saw us together, that's funny. They were like, oh, I can't I believe how tall Megan is. And then I made the joke and I was like, oh, it's because they think I'm your short fat friend like i'm the short fat one in the like friend archetype thing even though you have made that you've made that joke more, more than, than once. once even yeah. though i don't think of myself as fat like i don't think i'm big enough this is weird i don't think i'm big enough to consider myself fat even though i have fat and like am curvy um and then i also had the experience of meeting someone in real life who follows me online who was like I'm so glad to see that you're a fat person for whatever reason, like camera angles. I know I do it. Like I camera angle myself. So my face and my chin look as thin as possible. So that comes back to what we talked about with Zoe, like things being flattery, mm -hmm. things being slimming. Totally. And it was the weirdest. I was like, I thought we were not commenting on people's bodies in 2022. I thought we were not doing Wait, that. Wait, you're telling me the person said that they were happy that you're fat? Like, it, they also identify as fat. And they were like, I thought yeah, but, you were. Like, but now that I see you in real life, it's like interesting. That's intense. It's super intense. And also that Brian is like fit because they met Brian at the same time. They're like, and your husband's super fit. And like, I just, I don't know. I just love to see that. And I was like, this is weird. This is How did that weird. make you feel? So so weird like i don't first of all i was you're just not like, putting a judgment word on it is that on purpose 
or you really didn't have a judgment. Well, I I'm not trying to is, I think this is like it. a little bit like the conversation, right? Like what is your, first of all, I don't identify as fat. So then that's weird for someone else to say that I'm like fat or in a bigger body. I also think there's like, I know body dysmorphia is like a real, a very legitimate thing, but I think I've yes. been in, in my like intuitive eating journey and in like moving, uh, this is sounds weird to say, but like in moving and like, so you're like purging clothes and buying new clothes. It's also like different sort of seasonality and needing some different things. I really struggled with like, I was buying stuff that was too large for my body because I was like mm-hmm. buying things online and I just couldn't actually get a read on what my body is and so then it was like this weird it was just weird i was like i'm not offended because i do i like have a bigger body even from a i've always was a big bigger kid like always taller always like fuller i wore a bra like had big breasts before any of my friends did but it would never have felt like i was fat or overweight as a kid even though i like was immersed in diet culture with my with my mom yeah, I'm not being judgmental because it was just like a weird experience. And that is, that's interesting. Like, I don't think they meant it to be offensive. And I can just be neutral enough to be like, okay, they meant that as like a kind of compliment. So I'm going to take it as that. But it was also like jarring to my own identity as like a mid-sized yeah. person. It's so funny. You use this language that has never occurred to me. I mean, I think we're, are we the same size? I'm like, I usually am between eight and 12 yeah. and now I'm like, a am a 12. Yeah. I, I might be pushing 14 for the first time in my life, but like, I feel like we're the same size. Like we're in the same zone. Yeah. And I've never used midsize. Like I've never even I heard that I think it's term. like, okay, this comes back to, this is how I found Zoe too. When I started like intuitive eating and trying to like break up with diet culture and like the pa- the pause as Zoe will talk about before I realized I needed to like actually move away from diet culture in a really serious way, which we kind of like touch on in our way, way back weight loss episode where we're like, it's okay if you want to lose weight. I taught, I, yeah. I was like, it, it, that was a precursor to all of this. I started just looking for more people to follow more fashion influencers, influencers in general, whose bodies I felt like looked more like mine. And one of the terms is mid-size. Mid-size fashion bloggers are the people who are like in that 12 to 16. They're like a large, extra large. They're curvy. They might have bigger bellies or bigger thighs, bigger arms, just more voluptuous, as my papa fully would say. (laughs) I know. I think it's really interesting because like normal's not a good word. Normal's not a or like the word average. But average. Even like exactly that's what I that's how I meant it. But yes. Yeah. Like, and then that we use the term like straight sized for more like thin, conventionally thin and slim bodies. It's really interesting. That is really interesting. I have never actively sought out intuitive eating influencers or fashion because I feel like a thing for me is to feel freedom to wear what anybody is wearing if I like it even if they're a super thin model, I'm like, I want to wear that too. It's just going to look different on me. See? You know what I mean? Like loving the idea and like being comfortable with the idea that like, I love that piece of clothing. I want to wear it and it's going to look different on me. And that's okay. Yeah. See, I grew up thinking, especially because I had big breasts at a uh, young age. And so it was like, 
thing, tops that were minimizing. I was sort of like coached to not want to accentuate them or draw attention to them. So I had a lot of, and still do, like unpacking to do about what is quote unquote okay for me to wear as like a more curvy person. And I think that because I think of myself as a yes. curvy person too, but I have small boobs and I'm shorter than yeah. you. So I have also, oh, wait, that's where I think the word chubby comes in because I don't feel like I'm a big person. And also my husband is six four. I have tended to date taller guys. Mm-hmm. So like I always felt small too at the same time. It really was my weight that was the thing. Yeah. Because otherwise, I'm like, I feel like I'm a smaller person. Yeah. Which is maybe what people were noticing when we were together. Like, I don't have big boobs. I'm short. Like, I know. And like, I don't know. For the most part, you see us, like, whether it's headshots or like on Instagram live together, you see us only from like the shoulders up a lot of times. So it's hard to get us up. And like, a lot of times we're positioned in a way where we look like we're the same height or like you have heels on and I'm wearing flats. And so, like, it's hard. Okay, but also you just revealed that you do, you pay attention to like angles and this and that. I love that. I feel like maybe this is some weird projection. People would assume that I like I'm super into that. And I I mean, I do like I pay attention. I try not to have like a like like a super un- yes. squished <laughs> neck and super unflattering. But in general, I don't think about it too hard. Interesting. I wake up even during the pandemic and had nowhere to go. Like some days I wake up and I don't wear makeup and I'll still get online. A lot of days, whether I'm going online or not, like I just wake up and I do my makeup because I love makeup. So some days I go on and I feel like people might think that I have done that on purpose, but it's actually like how I look walking around in my sweats. But I try not to pay attention. That is active on my part. Yeah. So that's interesting. Because I can get sucked into that. I don't care about makeup and hair. Like I will get on Instagram stories or record an Instagram video with like crazy hair, no makeup, big pimples. Like don't give a about that. But I will use the lighting to my advantage, which is something I've learned mm-hmm. from Brian, like getting in front of a... A window so that my skin looks mm-hmm. a little bit smoother maybe like that pimple is less obvious and angles my brian's friend jeremy who's who's like in the same industry as brian he like has this funny thing that he makes fun like he pokes fun it's like in a very sweet way because a lot of times in our current house i use the under cabinet lighting because it's very flattering and then the fact that i'm like sort of leaned over the counter means you see a little less yeah. of my body and he's always like and here's megan reporting from under the kitchen cabinets because he like knows the house layout. (laughs) I think of sort of like how you think of like putting on makeup because even in your sweats, it's like something that you enjoy. It's like, it's easy enough for me to put my camera right there. And it has the benefit of like, what you like more flattery, feeling like you look feeling like I look good. (laughs) That's a better way to say it. Cause we talk about this, what flattering slimming, all of that with Zoe, which is, I think we should jump into that conversation. Yeah, 100%. Because it's so good. And we talk about a lot of, there's like a lot of overlap here. So 
Zoe Potter is a Canadian content creator located in Ontario who focuses on plus-size fashion, anti-diet, and self-love content. She has a large female following on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube who often look to her for suggestions and recommendations for clothing and food. She has an incredibly popular series across her platforms, including What She Eats in a Day as a Fat Person Who Is Not on a Diet, Pinterest Outfit Challenges, and Get Ready With Me vlog-style videos. Zoe, we are so excited to have you on the show. I'm such a huge fan of especially your TikToks reels that are like what I eat in a day as a fat person have been like very inspirational to me. And we'll get into that a little bit. But what I really want to know what I think is like very top line here is do you feel like identity impacts how we feed our kids? For me personally, no. And I only say that because I've attacked it at every angle that you can. So I have been the mom that's strict dieting. I've been the mom that's calorie counting. I've been the mom that is, you know, struggling with her eating disorder. I've been the mom that's now embracing, you know, an intuitive eating journey. So I've done it all. And I have never really changed what my family eats. I'm always the one who's going to sit out at a meal for instance, if I'm dieting, or I will not eat certain parts of a meal if I'm dieting. So for me personally, and my family, no. Um, In that sense, I know that there's probably not a lot of excitingness to that answer. But even when I was dieting, I would do separate grocery shops for me and my family. Okay, well, that brings up something for me about how you were raised. Growing up, were you slim? Were you overweight? Were you fat? Did you feel fat? And like, how did your parents see you and identify you? And did they feed you differently? Because I feel like so much of how we feed our kids comes from how we were fed. Yeah. So I personally have been fat my whole life, a version of fat, I guess you would say. I have had, you know, ups and downs and I've Mm -hmm. been thinner, but I've never been thin. Um, I've always been a bigger child, a bigger teenager, a bigger young woman. So it's interesting because growing up, I didn't, we didn't have a lot of junk. Like we didn't have a lot of chips and candies and stuff like that. But my mom did a lot of, she was a stay at home mom for a lot of my years. So she did a lot of like fresh baking, home cooked Mm -hmm. meals, things like that. And we didn't eat out like hardly ever. Like we would do takeout maybe once a month. Like that would be our treat is we'd go to like a sit down restaurant or Like I can count on one hand how many times I had McDonald's as a child. And that just goes to show it doesn't matter necessarily, you know, what exactly you're intaking or how much you're intaking. Everybody's metabolism and bodies are so different that it just goes to show like I was a big kid and I wasn't eating junk food and takeout and things like that. Clearly you're willing or you have been in the past willing to feed yourself differently than you're feeding your kids. So is the way your mom fed you informing what you think is right for the way you should be feeding your kids, your family? Yes and no. Like, I don't think my mom did anything wrong. Um, It's not that she like restricted us from food because that wasn't the case. The one thing that a lot of people who are in my position that I've noticed um, who are like talking about this publicly is they've had like a really skewed relationship with their diet because of their mom specifically yes right it's so common yes it's so it's we would both raise our hands to that but the difference I think 
I think the difference that I I experience is that I don't I never had that with my mom. My mom wasn't dieting. My mm. mom was always bigger, but not like like she's just curvy. Like that's mm. just how her body was. My mom was not the typical '90s mom. So I wasn't on slim fast. I wasn't on Weight Watchers. I wasn't restricted. But at the same time, we just didn't have a lot of junk food in the house because we just didn't eat it a lot. So I think that that made my own curiosity grow. So then when I got older, like I never drank pop. I don't think I ever touched a dark pop until I was like teenager or later. Wow. Like mm -hmm. it's just kind of like what I grew up with. So I had built up a lot of like stigmas against a lot of different foods just on my own accord because I never had them. Um, so I think the difference that I want to give my children is showing that there's no morality to the foods we put in our bodies. Yeah. Um, it is important to consume nutrient dense food at every meal, but at the same time, things like burgers and cookies and chips, having that once in a while is not a bad thing and it's not going to kill you. Yeah. Well, that's interesting too, because I was wondering if as a fat person going to the grocery store, if you feel judged by people, if you feel like people make comments or not feel like, do people make comments? But when I was thinking of questions, I was like, I wonder if that's a projection because as someone whose weight has fluctuated dramatically, I really, at the end of the day, felt judged by my mom. Like that's where it all starts. So that when mm -hmm. I went into the supermarket and I started buying like, oh, Oreos, my kids like Oreos, I'm going to get Oreos. I feel like people are judging me, but I think you're right that so much of it is the story that we tell ourselves. So I'm curious mm -hmm. for you to answer the question, especially now knowing that you don't come with this specific baggage of feeling judged in your own home growing up. Yeah. So I, I definitely have my own battles that I suffer with every day with judgment and stigmas. And I mean, I think I'm going to have that for the rest of my life just because of how much damage I've done to my, my mental stability with around food and dieting and stuff like that. I definitely don't feel judged by humans in person, at least that I've ever experienced over the internet. Absolutely. But as people would say, you kind of set yourself up for it. So in a sense, yes, I mean, we still don't need unsolicited comments about people's weight and diet, but at the same time, it's there and it's going to happen. But I think that without that, we're not going to grow. We're not going to learn. We're not going to evolve as a society, especially around stigmas against food and people who are living in overweight bodies. I want to ask about that. Like you do, you share what you eat in a day uh, several times a week on your Instagram and on TikTok. Do you get people who like, I, I, and I see like the people who comment about your weight and your health and it's unsolicited, unnecessary, even like bad advice about any of that. But do you get people who like see that you're a, you're a mom and who ask you about how you feed your kids or judge you about how you feed your kids? And are your kids eating typically what you are sharing or do they eat sort of like differently from how you eat because you're exploring intuitive eating and they're, they already have that hopefully built in. So it, it definitely varies. Sometimes, yes, they're eating what I'm eating. Usually around dinner time, if I show my dinner, usually we eat family dinners every night. My daughter's in school, my son's in daycare a lot of the time. So no, they're not going to be eating every single thing 
exactly to the, you know, exactly like I'm eating. And I'm, I'm the mom that's not going to force my kids to eat something if they don't like it. I mean, everyone has their own opinions about that kind of things. But for me personally, if we're sitting down for a meal and I know that, for instance, Marlo doesn't like a certain sauce on her spaghetti or doesn't like a certain spice on her vegetables, like I'll cater to my children to make sure that they eat the food that's going to them. So for instance, Marlo's veggies won't have spices and maybe her sauce is different. Sometimes we'll sit down and have like two completely different meals too, just so I know that everyone's going to be nourished and have something in their belly by the end of the day. Hey friends, it's Stacy here with a quick message. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I love beauty hair and makeup. Growing up, my mom was a hairdresser and one of my favorite things was to visit her at the salon, watching all the people get pampered and beautified. It wasn't so much that folks weren't beautiful going in, but we all know that there's just something about how you feel when your hair looks fabulous. So it's a bummer when your hair starts thinning. I know this firsthand. Both my grandmother and my mom, the hairdresser, had thinning hair. I used to watch my mom secretly do all the things, from supplements to extensions, to help make her hair look more full. Little did I know that I'd be in the same boat one day. But there are two things that I've got that my mom didn't. Products made with a more advanced understanding of female hair thinning and an awareness that I am not alone. Naturally, over half of women will experience thinning hair in their lifetime. Listen, I know deeply how hard it can be to feel like you have thinning hair. I mean, have you seen my co-host's mane? But you don't have to suffer in silence. Let's talk about it. Your hair story could help another woman. So join the conversation at ShedTheSilence.com. That's ShedTheSilence.com. 2024 is the year we're focused on finally reducing dinnertime overwhelm at Didn't I Just Feed You? And that means making grocery shopping easier and more cost-effective, especially when it comes to the foods we all tend to spend the most on, like meat. Enter ButcherBox, where you can count on incredible deals on premium cuts. At ButcherBox, you can choose a curated box or customize your order of 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood to stock your fridge with all the proteins you need for the week, month, or even the year at prices that are hard to come by at the grocery store. That's all your protein shopped for in one shot at great prices delivered to your door with free shipping. Just one change, switching over to ButcherBox, and you guarantee yourself fewer trips to the grocery store and savings that are hard to find at the supermarket. Dinnertime overwhelm be gone. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, you get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y and use the code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You, to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share HomeThreads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. 
head over to homethreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. Home Threads, love where you live. That's homethreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you with support from Whole Foods. As a resident Greek girl, I am a sucker for Mediterranean flavors and want you to taste the Mediterranean too. Go to Whole Foods Market now and save on regionally inspired products through March 19th. Find sales on animal welfare certified meat, including boneless, skinless, air-chilled chicken breast, bone-in beef short ribs, ground lamb, and more. Save on whole bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. And stock up on Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and if you're over 21, wines from Spain, Greece, and Italy. Grab your ingredients and experiment with family-friendly Mediterranean cuisine today. Think Greek-style ground lamb pitas, lemony oven-roasted chicken, or bronzino, or instant pot short ribs braised in wine. All simple and delicious. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. All right, Zoe. So tonight, I don't want this to feel like a pointed question. I want to share like a little bit of background, which is that I definitely grew up with like a 90s mom who was always on a diet. I've dealt with disordered eating like as a teen and as a young mom. And now I have a daughter who is a tween. And I feel like I may have made a mistake in like not talking to her more about my own struggles with my identity with my body and like how I feel about exercise and how I think about how I feed myself because she's starting to show some bias and starting to share some like of her own ideas about bodies and their value and what they should look like. And so I'm super curious, like, do you talk to your kids about your identity as a fat person? Do you, how do you talk to them about their bodies and your body and all of that? Yes. So it's not that I ignore the topic completely because I definitely don't. We definitely um, talk about our bodies and how we're, um, my daughter thankfully is still quite young. So she's not ever expressed to me that she feels like she should look a certain way or um, conform to a certain, you know, image that seems to be her friends or what's on the TV or this and that. I try to look at it in a different perspective than like overly complimenting um, certain body parts or like really drawing positive attention to, you know, how amazing a person's body is or how they look. For instance, this summer when I put on a bikini for the first time when we went out to the pool, I came downstairs and my daughter's like, oh my God, you look beautiful. Like, I love that bikini because it's pink and teal. So two of her favorite colors. So the first thing she said was, wow, you look beautiful. I can see your tummy. And I'm like, yes. I'm like, I love that you can see my tummy and that the sunlight can see my tummy. And I get to go get some fresh sunlight on my stomach and my skin that it deserves and it needs. So I think reversing the way things are talked about versus then, you know, saying the typical like, wow, she's so, you know, thin or she's so curvy or she's so beautiful or this or that. It's more so just how important you are, regardless of what your body looks like and how important it is for you to be comfortable in what you're wearing and how you're, you know, dressing and how you're feeling that day. 
that being said, I still compl- compliment the heck out of my kids every day and everything my daughter and my son wears, you know, oh, you look so cute. You look so handsome. You look so beautiful. You look so pretty. And even to their dad, you know, I'll say like, oh, I love that shirt on you or this and that. And I mean, it, it definitely is, is it's not um, just for them, but for me too, because now my daughter compliments me every single day. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> well, so I'm also curious because I think for me, and I'm older than both of you, and I like grew up completely immersed in diet culture where there wasn't even like a, a conversation like this. Like it was, you know, when I was a teenager, you would just never see someone who was fat, never mind fat, even slightly overweight on a magazine cover. Like, and there was no social media. Like I had no model. I never saw anyone who looked like me anywhere in public pretty much. And being someone who grew up with a very thin mom who liked fashion and I like fashion and I like makeup. I think that I conflated liking fashion to having to look a certain way in fashion and that I conflated makeup with, you know, not just being fun, but being like complimentary, like enhancing the way I looked, like making me look better. And it's just... I have had such joy watching people younger than me really embracing like fashion and makeup and not conflating those two. But has that been a struggle for you? Or is that like really Um, easy for you to tear apart? Yes and no. Like, I feel like it's interesting because like one of the times, whenever I do anything online, when it comes to fashion or trending fashion or this and that, there's always going to be the straggling comment that's like, wow, that's so flattering or, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that is not flattering at all for your body type. And I hate that word so much because really the only thing that word is bringing forward is that it makes you look thinner or yes. it doesn't make you look thin enough. So I think that people forget that that's such a trigger triggering word for so many people. So that's, that's where I struggle because even like when they think that they're complimenting me by saying, wow, that top is so flattering on you. Or like that skirt is so flattering on you. Hugs you in all the right places. There is no wrong places. My body is my body, regardless of what I wear. I'm fat. You know, if I decide to hide it one day, if I decide to embrace it one day, it's not going anywhere. It's not going to change. So I think for me, that's where I struggle. And I actually brought this up a long time ago on TikTok um, when I would do my series of what I putting together a cute plus size outfit that would have scared the out of me when I had no confidence mm-hmm. um, series, which was really popular for a long time. And some of the times I would put together an outfit and someone would say something like, well, I don't get it. Like it's just a dress or it's this, that or that. But they don't realize that like for so many years, I wouldn't wear patterns. I wouldn't wear certain colors. I wouldn't wear bold lipstick because it would bring attention to my face that might be too fat. So like, I think that that, um, as a society, as a norm, like, I think that we're getting better at avoiding that. And so for me being able to step out of my comfort zone, wearing bold lipstick, bright colors, certain patterns, certain cuts showing my arms, I think it's, I think it's definitely going to be a lot easier for the next generation in that sense. But at the same time, it's still something I struggle with and I still see some triggering comments here and there. And then I kind of double back and second guess myself, but it's funny about flattering because this thing that I tell myself and I have just recently consciously made a decision to re look at myself in the mirror 
to get away from the word slimming because I'm so old that people wouldn't even just say flattering. <laughs> they would literally say, say that's slimming and mm-hmm. like, oh, that looks great. That's slimming. <laughs> I'm like, that is such a horrible word. Mm-hmm. It's really like it gets in your brain. I want to talk about TikTok and Instagram, obviously, because like we all live a lot of our life there. And Stacy mentioned like she grew up without social media. She's talked before on Didn't I Just Feed You about how her kids are being influenced by social media. I even see my 10, 11 year old like be sort (laughs) of influenced by social media. Or even we talk about she loves this game called Gotcha Life, which is like basically Sims-ish, like you're designing people. But mm. all of the bodies that are available are very thin bodies to build off of. So we talk like we talk about that a lot. How do you do you get the sense like that TikTok and Instagram are better media sources for the younger generation there because there is the ability for them to like break the norms. Like Stacey was saying, you, it was a long time before we saw anyone who was like midsize or plus size on magazine covers. We're seeing that a little bit more, but it's still more typical to see like a straight size or a thin size body on magazines. Or are you seeing like, cause you're on the back end of TikTok. Like, are you seeing that the algorithm air quotes or like those platforms are prioritizing sort of like straight size and thin size influencers? A hundred percent they do. And they're, I think they're always going to, unfortunately, that's kind of the way it is. But at the same time, I don't necessarily want any more from them. I just want equal. Like we Mm -hmm. don't need anything crazy or excessive or like, you know, fat person awareness month where we only promote fat people. Like we don't need that. We just need the same, like it's such a double standard. Like we were talking about before how fat bodies are policed so strictly on these apps where when we show skin, this or that, but models and thin influencers and like they can get practically naked and no one bats an eye. And you were telling us earlier before we hit record that you almost every time you show skin, you get every time, every Every single time on TikTok Mm -hmm. before my video even goes up, they process it or they put it under review. Um, and it usually takes five to 10 minutes for it to actually go up. And then yesterday I uploaded a video to TikTok and it went under review and re- removed immediately um, before it could even be posted. And it was me showing my bare stomach. I appealed it and they put it up right away because there was nothing wrong. I wasn't showing nudity. I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing that. But they, I don't know. I think it's just a little stricter for us. And I don't think that it's necessarily a better platform to be on for positivity and like, you know, seeing all different bodies and, you know, different skin types and different cultures. I think it's, I think almost every social media app is going to have some damaging aspects to it. But that being said, looking at how they are today versus how they were 10 years ago, for sure, it's going to be better. It's going to continue to get better. I don't know if we'll ever, it'll ever be perfect. And I think creators like you are making it worthwhile because there are so many downsides. I mean, my 13 year old isn't on social media yet, but my 16 year old is. And it's, I feel like an old lady because I have one lens when I'm thinking about it for myself and then a completely different lens when I'm thinking about it for him and for his peers and for what it's like. And it's so the harmful impact. It feels so big when you're worried about your child 
And really like creators like you are what redeem it and make it worthwhile and why we want to actually like bring your kind of content to the forefront. But also Zoe, I want to get back to, it's our jobs to get back to cooking. How long have you been on an intuitive eating journey? What do you grab at the supermarket? What are the conversations you have? So I've been intuitive eating or practicing intuitive eating slash trying to heal my relationship with food Mm -hmm. for about two years now. I wish I had more time to cook because I love cooking. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also very much um, struggle with prepping and meal planning and things like that. Like I'm not that person. Like when I was dieting, I would eat the same thing every single day for like a month straight because it was safe. I knew what was in it. I knew what calories were, this, that, and another. Mm -hmm. So I think breaking out of that mold that I put myself in for so long and like going into things where now I can literally use any ingredient, any kind of, you know, condiment, any kind of this, that, or another, it's been hard, like unlearning so many things that I've like shoved into my brain for how many years being able to change my mindset and also like remind myself that I don't have to eat the same thing every day. That's been a big part of it for me too. Uh, And also just being on TikTok, I think has helped as well, because I've tried a lot of new things and new recipes that are like TikTok viral. (laughs) And I love that. I love being able to, some some of them are horrible and some of them are wins. (laughs) So, So I think that that's helped as well. And also being able to share what I eat on a daily basis. Like everyone always says, you have the coolest looking food. You have the best this, best that. And I never think of it like that. Like Mm -hmm. I, cause I literally just have to think about what my body needs in the moment, um, in the season, in, in the day of the week. And sometimes my concoctions are really weird, but some people (laughs) are like, they're like, I would never think to have that for breakfast or I would never think to put that and that together. And then on top of that, they give like, my community gives me the best suggestions for food. I love it. It sounds like intuitive eating has given you permission to enjoy cooking again, because cooking is, I mean, nothing is fun when it's completely restricted. Well, at least that's me, my big Leo energy. Like, don't restrict me. (laughs) Don't restrict me. No, I need to get out of my mold. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Always. What are some of the best recipe recommendations that have come from your community? Because our audience is always looking for meal ideas to feed their families. And then like, maybe you name one or two things like viral recipes that you've cooked that you absolutely will not <laughs> again. That I, I won't go back for. We each have some. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. I wish I had access to my phone right now because I could go into that. <laughs> okay. So one of the best that has come from my community. Oh my gosh. I know. I know exactly what it is. It's such a weird combination, but I made it once and like, Ever since I did it, I had to do it again. So one of my community members said, have you ever made a grilled cheese sandwich with leftover spaghetti? And I literally, and I looked at her and I was like, are you like, what is this? Like, what is the sorcery? (laughs) It is the best thing. The most like nourishing comfort food I think I've ever had. So you take cold leftover spaghetti. With sauce? Like with sauce. Yeah, 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 whatever. whatever. Yeah, if it's veggie spaghetti, veggie spaghetti, if there's meat in it, meat. You heat it up and then you take two pieces of bread. I use garlic butter because everything's better with garlic. Yes. You butter the bread with garlic butter. You put your cheese. You fry it like you would normally do grilled cheese. Oh my God, it's so good. Oh my gosh, I want them for lunch. (laughs) 
I think that was the best and most unique thing that's come from my community is that gar- spaghetti grilled cheese. I'm going to make that sometime. I have to have spaghetti <laughs> so that the next yes, day. Yes, totally. That's yeah. a little bit of meal prep and meal planning that you're getting. Yes. In. Yes. <laughs> and then the best TikTok one, I think for me, was the feta dip. And I still do it to this day. And every time I post about it, I like floods. Like, how do you make that? What is the recipe? So my recipe for that is on uh, TikTok and on, and on Instagram. It's in my highlight for recipes. So it's it's so simple. So all it is is feta. I usually use flavored feta. Again, garlic herb because everything's better with garlic. Um, you're going to do green onions chopped up and then uh, Roma tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sauce is literally olive oil and spices. So I use like oregano and dill and like mix it all together. And then you do a balsamic glaze over it. Ooh. And you eat it with pita chips like pita chips, nacho chips, crackers, like it, it's endless. You can have it with anything. Sometimes I put it on a rice cake and eat it like that. So Ooh. good. And like every like month I get into like a feta dip craze and like I eat it nonstop for like a week. Okay. So uh, you still buy rice cakes, which I think is interesting. I know rice, rice cakes, cakes is one like of the triggering to me. Yes. I grew up in diet culture. Yes. Do you want to know something so funny? Everyone says that to me whenever I post about them, but do you want to know something really interesting? My diet drug of choice when I was dieting was keto. And on keto, you can't have carbs of any carbs. I couldn't have rice. I couldn't have this. I couldn't have that. I couldn't have fruit for God's sake. Yeah. So like wild, I think simple, something simple like a rice cake can't have that. So I'm okay with that kind of stuff, but like eggs, for the longest time when I was doing keto, do you want to know the top two things I craved? Most people would crave like burgers and like, mm-hmm. I craved an orange. I just wanted to eat an orange. And they, like yeah. that's all I yes. wanted was an orange and a bagel with cream cheese. Yeah. That's it. Wow. That's- <laughs> I feel like that might be a top 10 diet craving for everybody. A bagel, you- bagel with cream cheese. <laughs> and do you feel like your kids getting older was part of your motivation or was to go to move into intuitive eating and to give it a try? Or was it just about yourself and your own journey? A bit of both. I think my, my like aha moment that I needed to, I knew I had a problem that I needed to stop dieting is the second I came home from the hospital after having feel, I immediately put myself on a diet. I wouldn't eat certain foods. Like I didn't give myself any grace. I was super hard on myself was starving myself trying to produce breast milk like this that I wasn't sleeping I wasn't eating and I was so mad at myself because I had gained like I think like 35 or 40 pounds with Theo with Marlo I had gained like 15 Mm -hmm. so I think that in my head I was punishing myself Mm -hmm. the second I got out of the hospital I was like well why am I still 40 pounds overweight like like from where I was like I need to fix this immediately because that's all I knew at that point was yeah you know be thin. That's what you need to be. So I think after that and like, you know, getting diagnosed with postpartum depression and like everything just kind of back to back, I kind of had a moment, like something needs to give. And you know, if, if it doesn't, I'm going to die. Like, that's, what's going to happen. Like I'm going to end up dead (laughs) or severely ill. (laughs) It was a really hard decision for me, but I said, I can't diet right now. And at first it wasn't a solid, like, I'm going to never diet again. It was first, I need to take a break from dieting. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, it then kind of snowballed into this whole anti-diet movement. And now I'm like, don't diet, don't do it. (laughs) It's not worth it. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny the things that we tell ourselves because you're still holding on to this idea of like, I want to be thinner one day. Like, okay, so maybe it won't be now because I have to take a pause, but you still tell yourself that story. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious when you got to the point of like, even the pop, the diet pause or like where you were at the very beginning of your journey, like what resources did you find or where would you suggest people looking if they're like, okay, I know I need to figure out intuitive yeah. eating, having like pausing diet. Like what, what are some resources for folks? Two really big factors that have helped me in my journey are creators actually on TikTok and on Instagram. I'm mutuals with both of them. They're amazing human beings. Um, so one of them is find food freedom. And the other one is Andy does healthy. Both of those are dietitians. They're both dietitians, but they're anti-diet intuitive eating dietitians. So having um, that resource of a professional who this is their entire job is being a dietitian and helping you with that. Having their outlook saying that, you know, it's okay if you have Coke, it's okay if you have cheesies, like there's no bad foods. There's no unhealthy. There's just more nutrient dense foods. Mm -hmm. There's just more, you know, you know, foods that help with fiber, foods that help with, you know, vitamins, this, that, and another. So I think that those two amazing females have been a really big factor and help helping point for me too. In our experience, as people in different, in a, each in a different place from each other and in a different place than you are in your journey, that sometimes on social media, it feels like intuitive eating it feels as extreme and as judgmental as diet culture that Mm -hmm. as people who are just sort of, like you said, I'm just going to take a diet pause for now. Yeah. That it doesn't feel welcoming when you want to say, but like, I'm not comfortable with where I am in my body right now, which probably is still just diet culture playing itself out, but it takes a lot to extract yourself from that. Have you found that to be the case too? Or like, was there a point in your journey where you tipped from feeling like I'm all in? Not really. Like, I feel like, I feel like it's just something that I've been progressing at. And I don't feel like I've fully learned how to eat intuitively. I don't Mm -hmm. think I have a, like a full grasp on eating what my body needs in the moment and like what's going to nourish me in the moment. And I don't think my relationship with food is better or it's definitely better. It's mm. not fixed. I don't know if it'll ever be fixed, but I know that I just wanted to keep going until I can finally have that confidence around food that, you know, a thin person who hasn't dieted a day in their life has. Do you know what I mean? Someone that's blessed with the best metabolism, the best genes, the best healthy. Like I want to be able to be confident and to not second guess what I'm eating and um, think about food and what I'm going to eat Like if I'm eating something, I don't want to think about what the next meal is I'm going to have. I don't want to have to like worry about myself if I buy a certain food. Like I want to be able to have a comfortable, confident relationship with food. And I think that intuitive eating has brought me the closest to that that I've ever been. So I think that's why I've continued doing it. And I, and that's not to say that it's for everyone because it's not. And I do know people, I have friends um, online who are um, on Weight Watchers and our calorie deficit safely, because, you know, if anyone was doing that, not safely, I'd say something, yeah. but I'm not against dieting for everyone. If, if you want to 
have a change in your, you know, foods, your, if you want to cut out certain things, not food groups, but things and things like that, I'm never going to be the person that's like, no, don't do that. That's wrong. But for me, it won't work. Like, I just know I can't do it for myself because I will go full throttle as bad as it gets. I'll stop eating. I'll eat, I'll eat like under a thousand calories a day. I'll only drink water. I'll cut out food groups. Like I know my history with it. So I know that it's triggering for me and I can't do it, but I would never tell someone you can't do it. I love, I mean, that really resonates with me. And I think a lot of my challenge with what I see in social media around intuitive eating has been like my resistance. It reminds me of something that seems random in left field, but like we were talking about summer camps recently mm-hmm. with my mom and my kids. And my mom laughed and was like, you know, you said that you didn't want to go to summer camp because you didn't want anyone telling you what to do when it wasn't like the school year. Like they listen yeah. to the rules at school, but then like, that's it. So there is a part of me that's a little bit rebellious and doesn't like to be told what to do. Yeah. And I think that what you said really deserves a little bit of highlighting. I just want to underscore this idea of like fixing yourself because for me, anytime I've tried to fix it, whether it's by dieting or going in the other direction, I get caught in a trap where I feel resentful and annoyed and angry. It's just mm-hmm. about not wanting to think about it that much. Like just yeah. be like, just, I just want to be like, I want to be yeah. at clothes and I want to be at the table. Like I want to eat and then not think about it afterwards. And yeah. that to me is such a like thinking about kids and raising kids, like that's what I want for my kids is just to be mm-hmm. able to be with food, whatever that means. Yes. Um, and and that's the biggest, different. Yeah. yeah, that's the biggest part of intuitive eating is being with your food because the number one thing that they suggest when you're intuitive eating is getting rid of screens, getting rid of this, getting rid of that and having an eating space, some, somewhere where you feel comfortable to eat your meals or to eat your snacks and really thinking about how that food is making you feel in the moment so that one day down the road, you don't have to overthink it. You don't have to, you know, prioritize and pre-plan and be like, well, you know, I can't be out of scrolling on my phone. I can't do this. I can't do that. So that you kind of have that better connection with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. What do you feel like is more challenging and more challenging when you're like feeding yourself and feeding a family? Is it dieting and like having to do all the meal prep? Or is it the beginning of intuitive eating? Beginning of intuitive eating. Dieting will always be easy to me. A lot of people say, oh, it's not that hard. Just get on a diet. I don't like, and I literally want to say to those people, you don't understand. I'm good at dieting. I know how to lose weight. If I wanted to, I could drop 50 pounds in three months, but I'm not going to. I think for me, the hardest part is not going back to it um, and not. I know how to count calories. I know the calorie deficits. I know this. I know that. I think for me, the hardest thing will always be to never go back to that or to, to not sub like subconsciously change things that I'm doing in light of that. So for me, the intuitive eating will always be harder, but it's more beneficial for me. So I continue it. Yeah. And does it help your parenting? (laughs) When you think about your kids, does it, have you taken any of the principles and like apply them to how you talk to your kids about food or the eating environment that yeah, you create for them? Like for sure. Like I think that I'm a lot less, like I would literally sit down for a meal and Marla would give me some of her food and I'd be like, oh, oh mommy can't have that. Like that's bad for me. So things like that, I think that I'm helping them learn that there's no morality to food. 
I hate the word healthy. And I even have to stop myself saying it like, oh, you need to have a healthy snack. You need totally. to have something healthy now. So in my house, we don't say healthy. We say um, nutrient dense. So like, okay, you've had a cookie. Now we need to have something with a nutrient dense. Um, that's more nutrient dense. Something with more vitamins, something that has more protein. I use those words with my kids. And a lot of people look at me like I have six heads when I do it. But like... <laughs> But like, there's a reason for it is because I don't want them to grow up thinking that certain foods are bad for them when really it's not as long as you're not eating them and only that food. There is this big leap from like, you're thinking about food in a diet way to like, you're thinking about food and you're thinking about your body and when and why you're eating things a lot more when you first start intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. That can be really challenging and sometimes also very triggering. It's very hard. I don't think anything when it comes to food is really that easy, especially when we're raising children, because mm-hmm. you don't want to mess them up. I don't yeah. want to mess them up. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want my kids to have lifelong eating disorders. I don't want them to have bad relationships with food, but at the same time, I don't want them to have like negative feelings against vegetables or like, you know, fruit yeah. and like, and sometimes our bodies do crave things for, you know, how it makes you feel inside versus how it makes your body feel and how it makes it run, which I think is important to listen to as well. Like, do I need something nutrient dense or do I need something that's going to fuel my soul right now? Because there are two very different things. So I try and make sure that my kids know that no foods are bad foods. However, you have to have a variety of different foods to be healthy, to be healthy, not to eat healthily. Mm And I think that that's kind of, I think as long as you're, you're aware of what you're doing when it comes to food with your children, you're doing, you're doing more than the previous generation ever did. The thing I love so much about doing these, how we feed episodes is like, it really, there is a through line for so many of them. Like there's, there's differences in the day to day, but I think we just all want to give our kids a healthy relationship to food and to their bodies. Yeah. Exactly. This was so much fun. I, I could talk to you forever. Forever. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for having me. I had a yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Stacey, I love talking to Zoe mostly because I love her and I love her like what I eat in a day as a fat person. When I was starting intuitive eating, it was like very comforting in a weird way to like see someone else like eating a high volume of food, a variety of food of like cooked at home and also like fast food, takeout, convenience meals. I think there's something we talked about our identities, like our body identities, but I think there's something that we didn't talk about with Zoe uh, that I think is like true for both of us. And I want to digest just a little bit before we go, which is like, how do you think we both talk about how like we grew up in diet culture and like some, in some ways that influences our love of food and our identity as food people. How do you think your identity as a food person impacts like how you talk about food, how you, and then also like how you feed your family? I don't know. I don't know that, uh, you know, for me, you know how Zoe said that she's good at dieting? Yes. I'm the complete opposite. Like, I'm freaking awful at dieting. Like, I have never been good at it. I've never been good at losing weight. I have always ended up being like, oh, well, like, I just love this food more than I care about <laughs> like, how my jeans fit. Care about yeah. Being, yes. 
like that has always been where I landed, which is why I think I've like yo-yoed so much. I think that when I've lost weight, like I've either had a reason I'm getting married. Like I've been motivated by something that has made me want for a small period of time, made me more interested in managing my body and looking a certain way than I am in food. And I've always gained weight back because inevitably at the end of the day, I just love food. I love eating. I mean, just this morning, Mike and I were making breakfast together and I was like, do you, I said, do you want, do you like that? He's like, yeah, I like that. I just, I just like to eat. I was like, dude, (laughs) me too. Same Z's. So for me, it's really, I think people who really like to diet, I think that the judgment I have, I have felt from my mother or from other people who are really good at dieting and who were thinner. It's like, oh, you want to be thinner when I have wanted to be. And I have expressed that in the past, but like clearly not enough. So I just kind of have wanted to be at peace with that. And I think just like I've always leaned into myself as a food person and loving cooking and loving flavor and loving like I did Whole30 once for a month and it was like the worst month I have ever had. And I didn't even like, I don't even know that I did the whole thing. <laughs> like I can't, I always come back to food. Yeah. That's my point is that I always come back to food. And I guess in the end, like it's been more of a mental thing for me than actually like managing my body to be thin. I think that's really interesting. There's some, how okay, about you? Well, there's something, there's like a weird little overlap and something that I'm like, I I am not pre-articulating it, so it might seem meandering, but I think this like outward expectation or like assumed outward expectation. So there's like certain things that I would say that I'm avoiding buying or sharing that I feed my family because I assumed that people would think less of me as a food person because I did it for a long time, especially when my kids were young. Oh, fascinating. Like, box mac and cheese like the we've mm-hmm. we talked about this in a mac and cheese episode for our um listeners community like i would be like oh i make mac and cheese but like i'm adding peas to it so it's like more nutritionally balanced versus like sometimes i'm just like make mac and cheese and that's all my kids eat like sometimes that's it but i wouldn't want to share that as a food person that's so interesting megan yeah. because i feel like part of why Part of what made my mark in food in the first place was that I was like, feed your kids what you eat. But I was literally doing that because I was selfish and I loved to yeah. eat. Like I didn't make box mac and cheese because I don't like box mac and cheese for myself. Like it just doesn't taste as good. And I'd rather make it homemade, like just as one example. Right. But like I fed my kids quote unquote, more sophisticated because I wanted to eat that way, not because I was trying to shape them in a certain way. Right. And because you didn't want to do any extra work and like cook two meals. Yeah. Correct. (laughs) And then there's something and I like, again, this is not fully processed in like being in an intuitive eating journey and also like dealing with generalized anxiety and depression. I don't trust my appetite yet. And that's a really Mm. weird place to be in. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this like offline. I'm kind of like in a weird little sticky, like low ebb. There are days where like, I just don't feel hungry. And part of intuitive eating is like training yourself that you should eat 
when you know you're not you're, like even if you're not necessarily hungry but you know you have to go a long time where like you won't have access to food like when we do recordings it's like sometimes three or four hours and we can't really like stop to eat or we don't really stop to eat and so that's like a weird thing that i i struggle with as a food person and like having a cooking identity and having the expectations of being someone who like feeds my family and feeds my family well it's like Sometimes I feel really apathetic towards food because I'm just like in a weird place in my intuitive eating and my like generalized anxiety and depression. And I don't generally really like to share that. Like I just don't, I just share less or I share more of other stuff like on Instagram or like in a what we're cooking and eating now episode. I might not be like, I just made this thing because I did not, I really did not give a rip and just everyone needed to be satiated. I, that's really interesting. I very rarely feel that way. Like I very, very, I mean, and every time, no, not every time, but I would say a majority of the times that I'm like, I just can't cook. I don't care. Like figure it out. It's because of uh, feeling tired, which relates to like PCOS and like when I was undiagnosed and like had young kids. So I can get really exhausted. But I literally, okay, not literally, but you know what I'm <laughs> it's saying? It's better when you literally, literally, <laughs> I literally, I can always eat and I always want to eat well. Always. It's exactly what we talked about with Zoe's. Like, it's not like people are like, oh, so do you, you make the food, you put the food in front of the kids, they eat the food, you eat the food. Like, sure. Yeah. For some people, maybe it works exactly like that. But for so many other people, it's so much more fraught so much more complex there's so much more thought and emotion in it and like even if I didn't have any of the like disordered eating that I grew up with I certainly have that as a food person where I have weird priorities around food I hear you sister you know where I feel like this is going to be a juicy convo in the listeners community I hope it is so join us there We want to see you. We want to hear what you have to say. And like, if you feel like we stepped in poop at all during this conversation, come and tell us. Like, if it was helpful to you, come and tell us. Like, we want to know. The whole point of this series is to really widen the lens around how we feed ourselves and our families. So go to didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. And then, of course, if you want bonus episodes, want access to our recipe archive, on that page, you can also find out information about joining our supporting community as well. You can also keep in touch with us on Instagram where we are at Didn't I Just Feed You or by signing up for our newsletter. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Those bring a smile to our face and they help other busy home cooks find us. A huge thank you to our producer, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 
96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.